Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would open the heavens today, that we would see angels ascending and descending in this, your body, as we celebrate in your name. And to the glory of your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> this is uh, another in the series on our heart-to-heart -heart theme for the entire year in the study of the book of John and John's entire way of how do we come to know the Lord? How do we live in his presence? How do we draw near to him heart-to-heart -heart, and receive all the good that he has for us? It's also we're in the season of epiphany, which means the manifestation, right? The manifestation, the revelation of God among men. And through one man in particular, God became flesh and dwelt among us, and he revealed the glory, the glory of God, the glory as of an only son. And we have seen him, and we've been transformed. So there's this glory reality that we're studying as well. So heart to heart and glory, I don't often think of it that way, but there's something about John that actually is so... Um, Maybe paradoxical is the way to put it, because he's very personal, and yet he's also really cosmic. He's so personal, he draws near to Jesus. He leans into his heart like our icon shows us, and um, he's very involved in very tangible things. He's a runner, right? He beats Peter to the tomb. He's, he's involved in earthly stuff, and yet he sees the heavens opened in revelation, right? He is that one to whom that revelation is given about where all things are going to land in the age which is to come. And uh, so there's just something about John that is both deeply personal and cosmic in the way that he speaks of the revelation of God in Jesus. And so I want to spend some time talking about that using this passage in, in our gospel this morning about Nathaniel. I love this passage. It's one of my favorite passages. And it does speak to this weird paradox of, of John about like real life stuff and yet it speaks to so much more than is immediately evident, right? He, um, he's telling this story, and actually it's a bizarre story. Uh, I'm sure you picked up on it a little bit. We're going to look at how bizarre it is in, in different ways as we go here. But Nathaniel, which means gift of God, is this disciple that comes to Jesus, and um, it, a revelation unfolds to him. And then Jesus points to more revelation, and it's a bizarre thing. I love this passage partly because... Um, this was the, the, the verse that was given to me by my bishop when I was ordained to the priesthood on Sacred Heart, which was the feast of that day, um, was uh, John 1, 47. It's like, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile or in whom there is no falsehood or deceit, right? Behold, a true Israelite in whom there is no guile. That was the verse that, for whatever reason, my bishop, Bishop Sandy, said, this is the one I'm going to inscribe on your Bible, the one that I'm going to put on your head as you submit to the Lord. It was like this, okay, so this is a Bible. This is a big Bible, too. It's got, actually got the Apocrypha in it, and so it's a little more weighty. But you feel the weight. Like when you're kneeling in front of the bishop, you feel this weight, and it's a physical weight of the word coming down on your head, and you're under the authority of God, the word of God. And uh, I felt like Bishop Sandy was saying, I want you to, you know, to meditate in your priesthood on this truth that behold an Israelite in whom there, a true Israelite in whom there is no guile, in whom there is no deceit. Like, like God was saying through my bishop, there's something I really want you to pay attention to, and I want you to feel that weight just sink down into you. And, I, and I'm, I'm excited for that to sink down into you, too. 
Um, so that's my prayer for today. And I, I feel like there's, there's a great desire that John has for us to enter into the wonder of the revelation of Jesus, of God become flesh. And he's, he, I mean, he's so taken with them. He's writing his gospel like 60, 70 years maybe after the events have happened. So he's had a long time to really think and meditate and contemplate and consider everything that, that happened and to find layers of meaning that penetrate really deeply and also reveal heaven in ways that maybe at the moment he might not have fully realized, but upon further reflection really do speak of heavenly realities in the midst of earthly moments. So John, by the way, he's the, you know how the gospels have different symbols, like there's symbols that, um, for different gospel writers, and John's symbol is the eagle. And we know about eagles. Eagles have eyes that can see and penetrate really far and deeply. You know, they, they, they soar in the highest of the heavens, and yet they can see down in the earth exactly what's going on. And, um, this, this is kind of the thing that we see with John is he's able to take all these realities in and understand them in relationship to God and to the heavens and to the, the, the thing that we're called to, which is to see Jesus, to behold him, to be changed by him. He sees how he wants to bring us into that. And this little section of the gospel comes right before the book of signs begins, right? So this is, this is like the last preliminary thing that John wants to say to us so you can take in all this wonder of what Jesus is bringing and what Jesus is revealing and what John has really come to understand, having leaned into him for so long. And so this is, this is an important passage, I think, and he wants it to sink into us. Um, I mean, he's saying that this is the word made flesh. I mean, this is the, the same wisdom that alongside the Father labored to create the world and then spoke them into being, and now he's become flesh, and his glory we've seen as of an only son, and now we're sons and daughters of God, and he wants us to come into this reality. And the last thing he says about how to come into this reality is he tells the story of Nathaniel. That's, uh, that in itself is interesting to me. This is the last thing he says right before the first miracle uh, with the first sign at the wedding of Cana. It's the first revelation of the kingdom um, beyond just little conversations here and there of Jesus calling disciples. And uh, so I want to just spend some time, you know, trying to absorb what it is that John's trying to say to us. And uh, we'll start with, well, I'm going to break it down into three sections. I think the first section is going to be basically come and see. And then the second section is to commune and communicate, like know and be known, all right? And then the third section is pay attention, expect to see a divine revelation, all right? So that's kind of how we're going to break it down here this morning. So the, the, the way the passage begins is um, it's with Philip. And Philip, to me, he, he kind of embodies, I think, the same spirit, the sense of urgency that John has for us to really come into the revelation of God in Jesus. Um, Philip is the evangelist, right? So he's acting the way that we know he will, uh, he will really embody for the church. He goes to um, Nathaniel, and uh, Nathaniel's hanging out, apparently under a fig tree. Uh, we'll get to that. And uh, he says, come, uh, the Messiah, the, the one that we've been expecting in the, in, the, in the prophets and in the writings, the one that's foretold, he's, he's here, and it's actually uh, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, the carpenter. And... Um, and I, I don't know, I mean, maybe Nathaniel's sort of a curmudgeon. He's like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? This, 
You know, and it is a country town, and maybe there's some town rivalry. I don't know if he's from Cana or Bethsaida too, but he's like, Nazareth, the son of a carpenter, can anything good come out of that? But he actually comes. Philip says, come and see, and he actually comes. And then, and so then he does, he comes and he sees, and Jesus sees him approaching, And then that's when he says those words, behold, a true Israelite in whom there's no deceit, there's no falsehood. And and Nathaniel's so taken aback, he's like, how do you know me? I'm not sure I track with that. There's something about this this whole section that's like, it's chock full of details that John doesn't bother to mention. (laughs) He's like, wait, what's happening? How does he, like, how's that a big deal? Like, how do you know me? How's he getting that? You know, and then he says, from, you know, I, when you were, before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. And that's so astounding to um, Nathaniel that he says, um, you're the son of God. You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. And I'm like, wait a minute. Now there's another leap. More details that John doesn't bother to mention. <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand that. And then ultimately, he says, you know, you're going to see the heavens opened up and on the Son of Man, angels ascending and descending. Wow. And then comes the wedding of Canaan. So how does this, I don't know how this all happens. There's, there ends up being a lot of speculation, by the way. Um, that he's sitting under this fig tree and then because Jesus sees him under the fig tree and he knows him somehow because of that, that 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 just blows Nathaniel's mind. So what are those details maybe that would explain why this is such a big deal to Nathaniel? And I think we don't know. That's what I think. I think we don't know what those details must have been. And I, I believe that it's partly because what, what John wants for us is to see ourselves in Nathaniel. He, I think he's leaving some creative gaps here because he wants us to enter into Nathaniel's disposition so that we can appreciate Jesus so that we can have him reveal himself to us now in whatever state we find ourselves in and to have him see us and then when he sees us, we see him and in that moment there's a recognition that we realize he's the Messiah, he's the one who actually can help us and then ultimately that he's God. I think he wants us to enter into that and part of it, his strategy is to leave some details out. Um, So we begin to speculate and maybe this is a way we can enter into it. So he's... um, He's under this fig tree. By the way, I don't, I don't think much about fig trees. I don't know if you guys think about fig trees very often. Um, I mean, maybe in the summer I'd think about a palm tree, but I, I can't hardly think about trees with any kind of fruit on them right now. But the, the, the fig tree was like a, it was, a, it was sort of like a, a plant that had candy on it in a sense. It was very, very sweet fruit. Figs are, do you guys know what figs are? I mean, I, I remember from when I was a kid eating fig newtons. Do you guys, do you ever eat fig newtons? Um, my kids don't really know what fig newtons are, except for there's a comedian who talks about eating whole sleeves of fig newtons like a woodchuck. But, but it's, it's like a, um, it's a fruit from a tree. It's sort of like, it, it became a picture of, of just this wonderful goodness. It, for us, it'd be more like a, a chocolate tree, like a tree with chocolate on it. You could sit under that tree and you could eat chocolate, and it's this divine, wonderful stuff. And in fact, there's some prophetic passages that talk about when the kingdom of God actually comes in all of its glory and the Messiah actually comes, everybody will have their own fig tree. And, um, and so that, that's, that's what he's doing. He's sitting under a fig tree there. 
And um, apparently Jesus is, is near enough that he can spy him out, and I don't know what's going on, but Phil, uh, uh, Nathaniel doesn't realize that Jesus sees him at that moment. Something's going on, though, under the fig tree, because Jesus sees him, and this is an Israelite, a true Israelite, like a real Israelite. You know, and the first one to be called an Israelite was Jacob. He was eventually named Israel after he wrestled with the angel. We'll get to that in a second, too. But that true Israelite, a true, true son of Jacob, and, um, and it's because he, he's, but he's actually not like Jacob because he's not deceitful. So that's a clue, maybe, about what's going on underneath the fig tree. He's not deceitful. There's no falsehood in him. There's no lying in order to get something. Um, and, and Nathaniel feels seen by that. He, he's actually, I think, saying to the Lord in a sense, how do you, see, how do you know that this is how I am? Um, so he's a true Israelite, and yet there's no guile, and he's sitting under a fig tree. Now, I, I, I think that, um, look, if I was sitting under a fig tree and it was basically a candy tree, I would be eating it, and I would be in a sugar coma, and I would probably be having, I don't know, if I was dreaming it, I would be like castles of sand in the sky, and it would be all about me, you know? And I, there's something going on over there. Jesus is with his pack of followers, and I'm not really involved in that because I'm really, I'm in a sugar coma. <laughs> and uh, so maybe that, I don't know what actually is going on in him, but maybe also, see, by the way, I just, I just did some speculation, right? I'm filling in my own details. And I, I, I think, what, what are the lies that in my own life that I actually need to be cleansed of in order to be able to come to Jesus? What are the falsehoods that I tell myself in order for me to be able to come to Jesus? Um, and, I, and I do think it's in, in, there may be lies of indulgence, right? Like, so I, I'm, I'm very honest and with you guys. It's like, so sometimes it's going to be, I eat too much pizza, I drink a little too much wine, I watch a little too much Netflix, and I'm sleepy as a result. I'm sleepy. And the lie I'm telling myself is that, well, this is the best that I can do. This is a good enough dream. My sandcastles in the sky are pretty fun, and pretty interesting. And they're not, though. They're actually just me being asleep. And Jesus is walking by. The Son of God become flesh. He's actually walking by, and I miss him. He sees me, though, thank goodness. But there's still something in me that wants. I want to say something about sight. There is no, this is what I understand from brain science. There is no seeing. Humans have the, really, of, of the mammals, I guess we have the best eyesight of all of, the, of the, the mammalian kingdom, right? And seeing is never a passive thing. It's not a whatever kind of an attitude. So like, whatever just appears to me. We actually are always motivated in our seeing. There's always an engagement involved in our seeing. We have to make a decision about focus. What are we actually looking at? And so there's something, at least about Nathaniel, that decides that whatever he's occupied with in, in his fig tree delirium, right, there's enough in him that wants to see the Messiah that he actually gets up and goes. There's enough in him that wants to see so he can actually focus and then move his body to get close to actually see this person, Jesus. Um, I think this is really important because I, um, I actually think that we 
need to cultivate our desire to see him and our wanting to see him. And, and you know, Philip comes, he's the evangelist, and so he's already excited about having met Jesus, encountered him, and he's the Messiah. And he's like there stoking up the flames of Nathaniel. This is the Son of God, the Messiah. And so he stirs up enough in Nathaniel that he's like, Yes, I do want to see. I want. That's like Jacob. Jacob wanted something. He wanted something so bad, by the way, that he deceived his older brother and stole his birthright, right? But this is a seeing that's without guile and without falsehood. It's a seeing that wants, though. There's still the desire there. I, I, I want to um, say something else. Like, because we, a lot of us have grown up in an evangelical environment, we really are good at emphasizing grace. And, and grace is the only way that we can come to know the Lord, the only way. It is the basis on which we can know the Lord at all. In fact, it's the experience of knowing him, grace. Right? But, but there also has to be for us a yes. There also has to be for us a, I want this. There has to be a response to it at some level. Now, grace, of course, is even under that, right? I mean, Philip is there stoking up the flames of Nathaniel to want this again, to be renewed in that desire to want it. And so he, he does it. But there is a sacrifice involved here, okay? He is making a decision to sacrifice his, whatever distracted state he's in underneath the fig tree. He's sacrificing that, and he's offering his attention, which is another word for sacrifice. He's actually offering his attention, an expression of energy and focus by coming to Jesus. You know, I, I, I talk a lot about our, our condition right now as a church. I think we, we're anemic, we're sleepy, and we're satisfied with seeing what we see a lot. And so we're missing Jesus. And we're missing him even though he's near, he's actually come by. And we're, we're not, and so we're missing him in the ways that he's coming by near us um, with other disciples. And then we're also missing the divine revelation. And so I think part of what I see here is that Nathaniel's willing to make a sacrifice. He wants it badly enough that he gets up and he goes and then he sees, and he pays attention. This, you know, when, I, when we walk around with the gospel, we're like holding it up here. And if you're in the, in the Orthodox tradition, you say, wisdom, attend. And that, I think, is what Nathaniel's saying is, you know, the, the whole story of Nathaniel is like, wisdom, attend. Jesus is here, pay attention. Make a sacrifice of your focus right now and pay attention to him. He's going to change you. You're going to become a son or a daughter of God or you're going to be renewed in that reality if you pay attention and make a sacrifice of your focus. Okay? So I think this is important. So come and see. And he does. He comes and he sees. What's wonderful about this then is that Jesus says, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. You didn't even notice me at the time. I saw you. And I know you. You're a true Israelite. I know you want to see God, and I know that somehow that you're not even, you're not going to try and make it happen. You're not going to force it. You're not going to steal your way into this. Some people think that maybe that's because he was confessing his sins. So all of us at some level, right, we've, we've actually tried to make our own castle in the sky and kind of create our own kingdom. 
but maybe he was confessing his sins. And so that's why no longer is he living in a lie. He's no longer believing the lie that had him asleep, so to speak, under the fig tree because he's actually confessed his sins. And so now Jesus says, I see you and I know you. And, and, um, and Nathaniel's like, wow, you know me. How is that possible? How do you know me? And then he's like, I believe you are the son of God, the Messiah, the anointed one. And Jesus says, wow, you believe just because I saw you under the fig tree? I know it's, it's a big deal. It is a big deal. There's a lot there that isn't there. It's a big deal, and we're trying to figure it out. And he is seen and known, and he sees and knows the Lord. And in that moment, something remarkable happens. He recognizes that Jesus is the Messiah. You are the Son of God. It's a revelation. It's an encounter, too. It's a meeting. Um, man, do you guys, I, I want to go back to the want for just a second. Do you want to see Jesus? I'm trying to stoke up your fires a little bit like Philip did for Nathaniel. Do you want to see Jesus? Always. Amen. <laughs> Always I want to see Jesus. I do too, Daniel. I, I, I've, you know, there's these, um, we, two days ago we celebrated the feast of the meeting of, of Jesus in the temple, of St. Simeon and Anna. And I've often thought, why did these two old people in the temple actually see Jesus and know who he was and understand who he was? I think it's because they wanted to. They wanted to. They prayed their entire lives were being, you know, directed to seeing Jesus. And when Jesus finally did arrive, he came to his own, and a few did recognize him, and they were the first two, in a sense, other than Mary and Joseph, right? They're seeing him, and they're finally saying, well, Simeon says, Lord, now I can die because my eyes have seen the salvation which you promised to Israel and the glory of uh, the, the salvation of the nations and the glory of Israel. I've seen that glory now because I think he wanted to. He longed for it. He, he entered into the prophecies as his own personal hope. So he saw. And somehow Nathaniel saw. And Jesus is teasing him a little bit. You think this is a big deal. Um, this knowing, by the way, this is where, uh, this is the second piece. I, I'm kind of slipping over it kind of quickly. But this is when we become persons. Like when, we know this from children, right? When, when, the, when the mother's looking at the child and the child's looking at the mother and they're both feeling known and they're both feeling loved and like, yes, you know me and you're glad to be with me and I'm glad to be with you. And there's this amplification of being and you're becoming a person in that moment. And that's, there's something here that we're actually finally, truly seeing Nathaniel become a person because he's seeing Jesus. He doesn't have the full revelation of Jesus. That's to come. But he's seeing him because he has come and then he's been known and then he begins to know. So he becomes a person. He starts to bloom as a person. And um, by the way, I just want to make this really practical. This, this is a context in which we see Jesus. So come and be like Philip and invite your friends to come. Stir up the flames of their own desire to see and meet Jesus because he is here right now. He is walking down the aisle. He is in our midst, especially in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's so important. In fact, well, this last piece that I want to talk about is 
you've not seen anything yet is basically what Jesus said. If you believe now, wait till you see on the Son of Man angels ascending and descending. And that's a real clear reference to that time when Jacob fell asleep on a stone. And, um, and eventually that, that spot became called Bethel, house of God. Because he saw these angels on a ladder ascending and descending. And in that moment, it's like a John moment. It's a perfect John moment because heaven and earth are united. And the messengers of God, the ones who bring the words of God that set us free, the words of life, those angels, right? Those are expressions of words of God. The words of God, the messengers of God, they're ascending and descending. And what Jesus is saying, I am that ladder. I'm the one on whom every word that God would speak of life to you will ascend and descend. And I think it's even in the coming age, there's even more to that than, than we can fully get into now or fully appreciate. But he's saying, I am the house of God. It's what John has been saying. And you're going to see a divine revelation. This is not just the kind of Messiah that is going to lift you out of some personal depression you have or even a political oppression that you're under or an economic circumstance that's frustrating or even death. I am going to pull you into life and it's going to be life eternal. It's going to be divine. It's abundant. It's not just life. It's not just the good life as the Americans would have it. It's the eternal life as the kingdom of God would have it. It's way more than you could ask or imagine. It's divine. And it's an amazing revelation. When we gather together on Sundays in particular, and we celebrate the Eucharist, there are so many times when the heavens open up. And I see those angels. And we even say it in the liturgy, with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, all those who've gone before, all those saints who are in that special place of immediately in the presence of God. And we, in this communion, remembering the way Jesus taught us to, are in him who is the Son of Man on whom these realities are ascending and descending and by which we enter into this communion. It's an incredible thing. This is not a small thing to come on a Sunday. Are you hungry for this? Are you thirsting for this? Do you want this? Do you want to know and be known? Do you want to really see Jesus? And and not just Jesus, the rabbi, who is full of wisdom, but Jesus, the divine man, who's reconnecting you to your Father in heaven. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we're just so grateful for John. He, he's taking us into very personal things, and yet they're also cosmic. And that our circumstances, whatever they may be, that he can do a work of revelation that changes us, that takes us out of our illusions and our distractions, that explodes our hopes and draws them into a hope that's greater than we could have asked for or imagined. Is your kingdom is amazing. It is awesome. It is holy. It is full of divine realities that change us from one glory to another, from one grace upon another. And so, Lord, I pray that this morning, as we make our confession, that we would recognize you. As we make our confession of sin, that you would take us out of all falsehood and deceit. That we might meet you. 
that we might see you in all your glory, especially as we come to your table. We pray this in your holy name, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.